We can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Do you ever wonder, I mean, right, we, we live in a, a world of statistics, right? And we count things, we measure things, and, and when we do that, there's a sense of, okay, what does this mean? And so one of the things we measure, right, or we try to measure, I'm sure it's really literally impossible to actually get a, an actual count here, but we, we try to measure the number of human beings on the planet, right? We're like, hey, we got, we got, to, keep, we got to figure out how many people are here. Um, even though literally it seems impossible to do that at any one given time. But, but okay, there's like some, something around, right? Seven billion people, seven billion people on the planet. And when you, get, when you hear a number like that, I, there you, you kind of have this one or two reactions like, you know, that, that's almost hard to fathom, right? It's like seven billion people, like where do they all fit? Um, and at the same time, you get the idea of, well, if there's seven billion on the planet, then, like, what about me? Like, like who, 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 I'm one of seven billion? I mean, that doesn't sound very, like, special odds, right? Yeah, you're one of seven billion, you know, <laughs> to have this, like, who cares, right? And, and, and when you get that sense of, uh, who am I? Am I really important? Does my life matter? Uh, what do you do with that sense? Where, where do you go with that? And I realize sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes we get up with our day and we don't think anything about what our life's about or what we're doing because we're just in some, some, some way so busy. But at other times it creeps into the cracks of our life. We're like, why am I doing this job? Or, oh, where is my life headed? Or, does, does, is what I'm doing, does it even matter? And as we look into Ephesians 1, again, Paul is writing to Ephesus and he wants them to be able to fight the fight of, of fighting against the spiritual forces of wickedness, of darkness in our world. Like, this is a huge fight. This is an, uh, this is an impossible fight in a sense. And yet, he's prepping them in a certain way to be able to do that. He's saying, look who you are in Christ. Understand who you are, what your identity is. And when you can grasp that, once you can live that, then, then it allows you to live in faith and really have an impact. But, but sometimes, there's different voices when you hear that hear that feeling or they think those thoughts. You know, some people say, well, just don't, I I read this this week, it says, don't expect yourself to impress everybody. Even the sun can't brighten the whole world at at, at the same time, you know. And it sounds sounds good, right? Don't expect to impress everybody. Even the sun can't brighten the whole world at the same time, you know. Like, okay, yeah, I'm never, I'm not gonna be able to impress everybody. It's okay, Here's another one I read, ran across this week. Feel yourself special. 
you know, in a sense. Just, just think of yourself as special. And, and sometimes we, the, it seems like the advice around us is figure out who you are, figure out um, what makes you special, and then live that out. Because if you, can, if you can get inside of yourself, if you can understand who you are, if you can really get to know you, then everything will be okay. The problem is sometimes is the, the more we dig into us, the more we're like, I, I really don't want to go there. You know what I mean? Like, there's just certain things about me that I don't really like. You know, maybe it's how tall I am, or, you know, it's how fast I can run, or it's, uh, it's, I have these certain tendencies, or I feel awkward, or I feel inadequate. And, and religion tends to come in in those kind of scenarios and said, well, you know what, you can be special, you can be important, you can have meaning by doing good, you know? Like, if you can just, you know, do these things for God or do these things for society, if you can, if you can be a good person, be a good citizen, that's, that's meaningful, that's, that's important, that's good. You should, you, should, you should think yourself special for being that kind of person. But again, Paul comes in here with a radically different perspective, truth, if you will, that is designed to anchor your soul. In the midst of the, all the uncertainty, in the midst of questions, in the midst of the pressures of, well, what should I do with my life and does it have any meaning? There's an anchor here to your soul that Paul wants you to grasp. And the, the, the big idea that I want to get across to you this morning is that if you are in Christ, God chose you to be in a glorious relationship with him. If you are in Christ, God chose you to be in a glorious relationship with him, and this should anchor your soul. So let's look at what he says here in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here, if you will, is, is this anchor to your soul, and Paul is going to take it like a kind of like a panel book and open up it panel by panel and say, look at these spiritual blessings you have. And the first spiritual blessing he comes to is he says, just as you are chosen in, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So the first idea here is that God chose us. God chose us. And the idea behind chosen is he's used in other places in the Old Testament where he's talking to Israel, where he says one time, he says, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. So the idea of chosen is, is the idea of bringing, bringing to a person and not getting rid of someone, okay? And 
when you, when you think about being chosen, there's some questions that come to mind that, that Ephesians 1 isn't going to answer, and so I'm not going to really dive into it, but I can tell you where to go and look at it and consider. So, so some, sometimes people ask, well, what about uh, the people who aren't chosen then? If, 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 if we're chosen or the people in Christ are chosen, then what about the people that aren't chosen? Or you have, well, if we're chosen, does that mean we have free will? I mean, like, so did I, did I choose? Do I have any choices here if God chose us? And again, if, if you want to meditate on this, think about these issues, Romans 9 through 11 is a great place to go and to think about some of these issues. Paul's emphasis is on what it means to be chosen. And so I want to spend our time this morning thinking about con- that, considering that, considering, okay, what does it mean to be chosen? Why is being chosen an anchor to our souls? Garrison Keillor, that great Minnesota entertainer, uh, he recalls the, the, ch- the childhood pain of, of being chosen last. Do you ever do this as a kid, right? You're like, okay, let's play a game. Okay, choose sides. And, uh, and okay, and then you have two captains, and they start choosing sides, and you're like, pick me, pick me, and, and you get chosen last, you know? And, and, and immediately, is, what does that say about me, you know, right? I mean, that's what we do. We, it's, as human beings, that's what we do. We think relationally, and we think in relationship to, to what's happening in relation to us. And so he, he talked about baseball, picking teams for baseball te- teams, and he says the captains are down to their last grudging choices, a slow k- kid for catcher, someone to stick out in right field where nobody hits it, right? They choose the last ones two at a time, you and you, you know, because it makes no difference. And the remaining kids, the scrubs, the excess, they deal for us as handicaps. If I take him, then you got to take him, you know. Ever been in that kind of situation? He says, sometimes I go as high as sixth, usually lower. But just once I'd like Daryl to pick me first and say, him, I want him, the skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes, you, come on. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. That idea that, that in some ways I, you can get the impression as, as you read or you think about, okay, who am I? And, and if God chose me, maybe he just chose me grudgingly. Like, well, I got to choose somebody, so I guess I'll choose that guy. Or I'll choose her. Or I'll choose, you know, like, like it's some kind of grudging choice on God's part that he would be like, well, maybe them. I guess I'll work with them. They, made, they chose me, so I guess I'll choose them. But that's not what he says here in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, just as he chose us in him, that is in Christ. This is, what, this is the things that God is doing based on what he did in, in Christ. And in John 17, 24, it talks about what he did to Christ. Christ is praying to the Father. and He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before God started anything, he created anything, he, he made man, he's like, you know what? I want Jesus to, to be special. I want Jesus to be glorified through this plan that I'm making. I want Jesus to be lifted up and to be, to be seen to be great through this plan that I'm making. And, and so God, 
it's, it's clear here from just Jesus' prayer to his father that Jesus views God as putting together a careful plan from before the foundation of the world. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it puts it this way, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect, God's chosen, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in a hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So again, you have this idea that God, before God even started time, said the plan is to give eternal life to those who trust in Jesus. So if there's a plan here, what does that mean? Well, think about it this way. When you think about your life, when does your story start? Now, some of you, if you're in college or whatever, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, my story starts when I finally, you know, get my job <laughs> or get married or, or, you know, I can get out of the house. My story starts then because then I can write my own story, you know. I get to, whatever my parents wanted to write before, it doesn't matter. I get to write my own story then. Or maybe you say, well, my story starts when I was born, you know, this, these are the circumstances of my birth, and, and, and this is how it happened. Or maybe you'd say, well, no, no, really, you've got to be honest here. Your story starts when your parents wanted to have you, and then some of you would raise your hands and say, well, my, my, my parents never really wanted to have me, you know what I mean? Uh, I just showed up. And what does that mean for my story? And the problem is, the challenge with that is, when you start your story, tells you something about who you are, right? If you start your story when, when you get your first job, then probably your story will also end when you have your last job, right? Like, that's my story. That's just how productive I was, how much money I made. Or if you start your story when you were born, then it probably ends when you die, right? Like, that's all there is to my life. Just, I, I lived a life and I'm done. Whatever that means. Or if you start your story before you were born, then it's, it's about things sometimes outside of your c control in the sense of, well, it's just what my parents, who, 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 what, what my parents were like and their personalities and how, how rich they were and how free they were and how, how all that played out. That just tells you there's things that are outside of my control. Here, what does Paul say about our story and when it started? It says that our story started when God chose us before the foundation of the world. So not only did God say to Christ, Christ, I'm going to lift you up, going to make you great, and we're going to write history do that, but part of writing that out is these people. These people are going to be a part of that project. They're going to be part of what's going on. They're going to be integrally important to the story. And that means that your story started before time began, and it's going to keep going even after time ends, right? And if that's true, then, then a couple of things are true. 
The, the, as we think about that, this one, sometimes again, we're, we're tempted to say, no, my story is out of my control, right? I've, I'm oppressed. <laughs> my parents, they, they hate me. They never let me have any fun. And so my story is all about how I never have fun in my life, right? Or, you know, look, I, I, was, I was born with this skin color, and I had these kind of issues in my background, in my history. I, I, even, I'm even oppressed now, and these things are happening to me. And therefore, that's my story. But if you're in Christ before the foundation of the world, then that might be part of your story, but it's not the start of your story nor the end of your story. It's not who you are. It's just part of the story. And it, I'm not saying oppression doesn't exist nor that it's not important. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's not the most important thing. Because... God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It also means, frankly, that your story is not totally up to you. <laughs> it's true. You can't say, my story is under my control. It's all about me and what I want and who I am and who I think myself to be, and I can change anything about me because I'm writing my own story. You aren't in control of the start of your story. You're not going to be in control at the end of your story. So it's, it's not all about you. And in, in fact, it's, if you fight against that, all you set yourself up for is a lot of hurt and turmoil and anguish because you're trying to write a story when God started writing your story. And... That's important to consider because you have to think about, okay, what does that mean? If God started writing my story, if he's the one who chose me before the foundation of the world, then what's the story that he's writing about? Well, he tells us here. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Well, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> They're supposed to be holy and blameless for him. So his goal is for me to be perfect, but uh, I'm not going to get there, so God's story is going to fail. And what's, and you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So one of the best ways of Scripture interpreting Scripture is to, to look at Scripture and say, okay, where else does it talk about us being holy and blameless before him? And, and especially when you're in letters like this, you have to ask the question, does it anywhere else in the letter, in Ephesians, talk about this idea of being holy and blameless? Well, you know what it does in Ephesians chapter 5. So let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll put it up here on the screen. And what's interesting here is it's talking about Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, I got to get there in, in the, on the screen. Um, it's, it's talking to husbands and, and talking to husbands about how they should love their wives. It says, as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing with, of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now there's the word holy, but it says without blemish. Right here? See that? Without blemish. Now actually in Greek, this is the same word as blameless in Ephesians chapter 1. 
verse 4, okay? So you could actually translate it this way, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless. But putting it in this context gives us a better idea of what he's talking about, right? He's like, what does it mean to be holy? Well, pretty much you can say, well, present the church to himself in splendor. We're set set aside to Christ to, to be glorious, to have this glorious relationship where, 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 in a sense, we're being shown off, right? And not only that, but we're shown off in such a way that we're without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This idea that, that we're, there's perfection there. We say, but I'm not perfect. Okay, that doesn't matter. It, see, the, the point is it's not really about you. It's about how you're viewed, And that's, frankly, the the point to husbands that he's trying to make here. He's like, hey, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ's goal is to present the church to himself, not based on their performance, but based on what he gives them, based on how he views them, based on how he blesses them. I was going through premarital counseling, and uh, Pastor Albert was our premarital counselor, and... uh, at the end of premarital counseling, he tell, told, told us this story. He's like, there's a, a tribe in the, the Pacific Islands, uh, and, and to, when they married, the husband had to give uh, a dowry to the family to marry, to marry the bride, right? And so... Um, there was this girl in, in the village, part of, you know, the people, girls who were unmarried, and uh, she wasn't anything really special, really, um, but one guy decided, I want to marry her, and he went, and, you know, norm, normal bride price might be, you know, two cows, you know, for the bride or whatever. And, and or maybe if, if they were really, really, you know, special, really amazing, like, you know, the one everyone wanted or whatever, maybe four cows, right? Well, this guy went and he, and he worked hard and he scrounged and he did everything and he got 10 cows and he took 10 cows and he brought it to the, to the, to the father and like, I want to marry your daughter. And he's like, well, like, you don't need to do 10 cows, buddy. You're like, what, what are you doing 10 cows away? You're, you're, you're losing some of your value. You know, like, why are you, why are you giving away all your wealth? And, and uh, so they get married, and, and, you know, they go on the honeymoon, they come back, and when they come back, everybody is like, wow, you know, this girl, she, she, she's, she didn't seem that great, but now she's amazing, you know. Why? Why does that happen? Why? Because, first of all, the husband didn't view this relationship as a transactional relationship, like, I'm just going to buy this wife. No, he's, by giving 10 cows, what he's saying is this, I'm, I'm not giving a message about how rich I am. I'm giving, a, I'm giving this message about how much I value marrying this woman. I, I, I want, I'm setting her aside to me. I'm saying my wealth isn't as important as her. And isn't that what Christ did for us? He left the riches of heaven. And he said, I want them to show how great God's love is for all sinners. 
And in that process, then this is what Paul is saying here. He's like, you know what? God's goal. <laughs> That's why he says, he says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, right? It's like, this is how you should think about marriage. How can I show off my wife? How can I provide from my riches to show off her? And that's what God's goal is with us. He's like, I'm going to establish this relationship with them so that they can be before me, that we can be together. We can, we can have this relationship, this permanent relationship, so that I can show off how great I am through this person. And frankly, that's not something we think about, right? Again, we sometimes think God just, we're like second-class citizens in heaven. Like, I know I don't deserve to be here, but I guess I'm here, so. God, you got to accept me, you know. Too bad for you. No. Right? In a sense, that's what we wonder. Or, or we kind of say, well, God, God saved me, but he's just kind of put me on the shelf. I'm just up there. He's like, I can't do anything with this person. I'm, I'm just going to have to wait till they get to heaven, you know? No. The most important thing about you, what he's saying here is the most important thing about you is your relationship with God. It's not the time you have in this life. It's not the opportunities you're given in this life. It's not the, the, the things you can accumulate in this life. It's not even the, the good things that you can do in this life. It's about the most important thing, the primary thing, is about your relationship with God, that you are before Him, that you are with Him, that you are in His presence. That's going to be the first thing about you, because you're chosen before the foundation of the world, and it's going to be the last thing about you, when you're with Christ forever, before Him. And because your story starts and ends with this relationship with God first and foremost, it means it doesn't, it doesn't not include other people, but it's not primarily about other people. It's just, we took bound, trips to the Boundary Waters occasionally when, when I, we were younger, when we could get through the Boundary Waters okay without pain. And uh, on one of the trips back, we were talking about our experience and talking about how we experienced God in the Boundary Waters, you know, because the Boundary Waters are beautiful. It's, you know, pristine nature. But one of the guys was like, but I, I don't get, what, what do you mean, like, you, you have a better relationship with God uh, in the Boundary I like, like, in a sense, he was kind of saying, I don't experience God there. What do you mean? And and maybe sometimes you feel that way. Like in your life, you're like, well, I'm just going through life. I don't experience God on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's just, I just do life. Like, how do I know God is with me? How do I know I'm in his presence? How, how do I know any of those things? You, you definitely don't have to go to the Boundary Waters to experience God. The point is not to go to the Boundary Waters to experience God. The point is that you, you're doing something, anything, and you're saying, look at how great God is. 
Look what I can see about who he is. Look about, I can see his creativity and his power and his, and his beauty and his, his amazing qualities. And, and the question is, as you think about your day, like if you got up this morning or you get up tomorrow morning, what do you think about? And I got up this morning, I looked out the window, there's sunlight filtering through the pine trees. And you can think, oh, what a beautiful day. Well, if you're chosen before the foundation of the world, you realize that God chose you to be in relationship with him so that you can experience a beautiful day. But not just to say, oh, look, I'm in a beautiful world, but to say, what a great God. It's a chance to be in relationship with him. It's a chance to know him. And yes, you can do that in the boundary waters. You can do that at work. You can do that at church, right? It doesn't matter where you are because you, you know what? You're always before him. You're always with him. He's always with you. There's always this relationship going on. And it's actually the primary relationship that you're in. You think, no, I'm a dad, I gotta take care of my kids. That's the primary relationship. You know, I'm married, I gotta take care of my wife or my spouse. Uh, that's my no, the primary relationship you're in is with God Himself because He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world that you should be before Him in love. And yes, He has this goal of showing off the greatness of His power, the, the beauty of who He is through making you beautiful. And glorious as well. And so we have the privilege of living before him. We have the privilege of living before him. Let me, so, so if this is our identity, if this is the rock we're clinging to, how do, how do we put it in practice? Well, the Bible spells it out. So Colossians chapter 3 approaches this from a different standpoint, but notice what it says there at the beginning. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, right? So it's saying you are this, as, as in Christ you are chosen, holy and beloved. What does it mean to be that? How do I live that out? If this is who I am, what does it look like for me to be this? And then he spells it out. He says, Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if, complaint against the, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You're like, well, wait a second. I thought being chosen was about being in relationship to God. And, and here he seems to be laying out all these ways. But notice how he wraps it up. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, there's a sense in which you, this is your identity now. You're, you, you are interacting with other people based on who you are in Christ. Based on the fact that you represent him, that you are before him, that you are in relationship with him. And so we're compassionate. And when, when we do that, my initial response to that is, but I feel inadequate. You know, when, when we talk about compassion in, in our family, I'm not the prime example of compassion, just being honest, right? 
Like, like when the kids have a skinned knee or something, I'm, I'm like, hmm, just walk it off, keep moving, you know, what's the big deal, right? So, so when we tell you that you need to be compassionate, I'm like, um, I feel inadequate being compassionate, sorry, just I'm not really feeling, feeling, feeling compassionate right now. <laughs> the point is not our inadequacy. You know, when, when you kind of push it that, you say, well, what do you mean? Don't you want to be compassionate? Well, yeah, I do, actually. When I think about it, when I consider it, as like, if God is compassionate with me, I want to be compassionate with others, because this is who he is with me. But when I think about being compassionate, I don't think about God, necessarily. I think about all the people in my life who are way better at compassion than me. I think, man, my wife is way better at this. I wish she was here to deal with this great knee, because, you know, this would be going a lot better right now, right? We compare each other. But the, the, the challenge with that is, is that that's not the primary relationship. Your primary relationship is not with the one who's more compassionate than you are. You're not like measuring up to them. They're not your God. That's not the primary relationship. The primary relationship with this, was with God himself who is compassionate with you. So if you're st- st- telling God, well, God, you know what? You're, you're asking me to be compassionate, but I don't feel very compassionate. He's like, man, I understand. Compassion is hard. You know, it's not easy when, when you feel like you got other things to do or it's just a scraped knee. But you know what? I'm here with you. We're together in this. And, and let's go do this together. Let's go be compassionate together. Because huh? we're in this together. And, and when you approach it like that, all of a sudden you understand what it means to be chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be before him in his presence. Like, this is the actual thing that God wants with us. He wants that kind of relationship where when we face hard to get along with people, difficult people, people that we don't want to forgive, we remember, yeah, uh, if anyone has to complain against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. (laughs) So you should forgive, right? We're like, oh, God forgave me. We're in a relationship of forgiveness. I can turn around and I can pour some of that out on, on the person next to me. It's, it's about this primary relationship first, and it overflows on everyone else. And that's what it means to live before him, in his presence, walking with him. This is your primary relationship, even before you knew what it was because you weren't born yet. And even though you don't know how life is going to go, and how it's going to end, and what eternity is going to look like, this is still your primary relationship the one you get to walk with, the one you, who will be compassionate with you, the one who will forgive you, the one who will be gentle with you, the one who will be kind to you. That's the relationship you're in. And the amazing thing is he's like, okay, go live amongst all these other people. And you know what? Some of them won't be kind, and some of them won't be compassionate, and some of them will, will be mean and heartless. And you get the chance to, to, to pour out my compassion and my kindness and my love to them so that they can experience it too. And you get to show off how great I am in the midst of all these people who aren't that. 
because it's primarily about this relationship. So, this is what we're about at Crossroad. Making disciples with Jesus Christ, not because we have all the answers, not because we can tell everybody, this is how to run your life and this is what's going to make it perfect. No, because we're with Jesus. He's walking with us. And we get to help other people walk with Jesus too. You know what? Even your spouse will fail you. Even your closest friend could betray you. But God never changes. And he chose you to be in a relationship with him before the foundation of the world. And the question really comes down to is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, then you have this kind of relationship. And if you're not in Christ, then you don't. John 3.16 puts it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you have that relationship? It's as simple as, here it says, as believing in Christ, trusting in what Christ has done for us, right? God gave his son on the cross to pay for sin, to give us the promise of eternal life, that eternal relationship with God. And if you haven't done that, Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever calls, it doesn't matter, again, <laughs> just call, ask, and you, be, you get into that relationship, and you know you're called. This is something you can, you can cling to the rock. You can clip your carabiner into that rock and say, this is who I am. I'm anchored here. I can't go anywhere because I'm chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be with God. So, are you important? Absolutely. He chose you from the foundation of the world to be with him, to walk with him. The one who made the world, the, the one who knows the end from the beginning, the one who knows all things, wants to be in a relationship with you, wants to walk with you, wants you to walk with him, and wants to, in a sense, show off how great he is by giving you every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are chosen. Will you walk as chosen? Will you walk with your neighbors as chosen, being compassionate with them? Will you walk with God, spending time with him, listening to him, praying to him, serving him by serving those around you, being peaceful where you need to be peaceful, being kind where you need to be kind? Not because, oh, I got to be kind, I got to do it right. No, because you're walking with a kind God who, even when you mess up, is kind to you. Will you walk with him, before him, in his presence, knowing that he is working out his plan in your life to present you to himself, spotless, in splendor, holy and blameless, and he's looking forward to that day. And in the meantime, he's like, hey, let's just go, let's go, we're going on a journey, we're going to go do some stuff. But it's just really about us, about walking together and talking together. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, thank you for this anchor to our souls. That it's not about our performance, 
It's not about how much we can matter because of our story, of what, what we can accomplish in our story, or, or what other people have done in our story. It's about what you have done in our story. You are a great and awesome God who created everything. And you chose us to be in your presence, to walk with you, to delight in who you are. Help us to do that. Help us to put on as chosen of God, holy and beloved, compassion, meekness, kindness, humility, love, tenderness, speaking to one another out of the words of Christ. And whatever we do in word or deed, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to him because we have been chosen to walk with you. Help us do that this week in your son's name. Amen.